Thank you for joining us on this fine, uh, well, it's a February evening for me. It'll be a March evening for you or morning, I guess, when you go to listen to this. Hello from you the past. Listening. Hello, well, from, from the past future <laughs> thing. Uh, this is the Drunken UX Podcast. I am your host, Michael Feenan. I got a co-host, Aaron, or other, other host? Other you host. come up Good. with a name just because I go second. Flight attendant. Flight attendant. <laughs> That's that's the oh. only way I know to go with that. Uh, <laughs> my glass is getting a little bit empty, sir. Would you tend to that? Uh, I'm your flight attendant, Aaron Hill, and uh, welcome to the Drunken UX podcast. This week we are talking about CSS in JS, which is something we briefly mentioned. And when I say briefly, I mean I think it got a line um, back around episode 14, I think Aaron corrected me on earlier. Thir- 13. Uh, I just looked 13. it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about CSS methodologies, things like CSS BIM, ways to organize your your style sheets in a way that would make sense for your markup. And so this is specific to uh, the JavaScript environment. So we've got a guest on with us that we will be bringing in in just a moment. Um, first off, I want to make sure to let everybody know that this episode of the Drunken UX podcast is brought to you by our friends over at NewCloud. You can check them out at newcloud.com slash UX. Uh, they do interactive maps and have their whole uh, 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 content management system underneath that. It's very cool. It's it's hosted on Amazon CloudFront and does super sweet things. Um, and then go find us other places. You can check us out on Twitter and Facebook.com slash DrunkenUX. And on Instagram at the DrunkenUX podcast. You can also get us on DrunkenUX.com slash Slack. Come and chat with us. And actually, I think... If you don't already follow us, you should follow us, and you should retweet this episode. There, there will be a reason why. Yeah, we'll get to that later. We'll get, we'll get to it. I do know that uh, if you follow us on Instagram, I, I just got I'm really excited uh, because they were, they're very show-appropriate, quite frankly. I got coasters. They're so awesome. <laughs> so if you are headed up to Missouri, by chance, uh, for the Web Accessibility Summit uh, at the end of May, I will have some of those with me there. Just fun little, you know, drink coasters with Drunken UX on them, and um, they're they're pretty slick. I, I like them. I'm sending a bunch to Aaron, so if you're up in his area or uh, going to any Ruby events where he's at, hit him up. He'll have a few there, too. Uh, fun, fun little things. This evening, I am uh, imbibing upon uh, another bottle of Monkey Shoulder. I've had this before, I'm pretty sure. It's a blended scotch. Fantastic. <laughs> love the name. Love the bottle. Very good. The only blended scotch, actually, that I... J- genuinely like always keep in my bar so <laughs> when you when you tweeted about that i thought you were referring to like like a charlie horse like your leg oh. hurts but like on your shoulder <laughs> <laughs> well that's what the name comes from you know the oh okay. monkey shoulder is a an a, a thing that the i don't know what the, the people who are in the brew house whatever it's called where they age the scotch yeah. when they are moving barrels and they grab these big, heavy barrels full of scotch and roll them, the repetitive stress injury that they would get was a, a shoulder injury, probably rotator cuff something or other, that <laughs> they called monkey shoulder. Wow. So that's, that is actually, the name does actually mean something. Nice. I've just got, I went 
I went classic today. I've just got a Svedka and tonic with some Rose's lime juice. It's tasty. It's cold like the outside. <laughs> yeah, nothing like a refreshing drink on a, <laughs> no, a cold. cold February night. That's exactly what you need. I, you know I, what I used to really enjoy? I haven't had it on the show, but maybe uh, next episode. I used to do hot chocolate with a uh, mocha Kahlua. That is oh. a treat yeah, I could for a cold night. Yeah, I could see that. So this evening, we have a uh, very special person joining us. Uh, Dustin Shao. Shao? I hope it's correct. Shao. I checked a couple places, and that was the way I heard it. So I, I just ran with it. <laughs> I guess we could have we checked in the pre-show, right? Could Oops. have, but what's the fun in that? Uh, Dustin is the author of CSS in JavaScript with styled components and React over at Manning Publications. He is also a software engineer at Gatsby JS. Uh, if you're not uh, familiar with Gatsby, uh, it is a what what I'm going to call a static site generator, although that does not really do it justice. If you're familiar with other tools like uh, Jekyll or Next, if you've used either of them by chance, um, Gatsby is in that same sort of company. Uh, but obviously bigger, I think. Although you, you were saying it does more, it does more things. Yeah. So let me um, let me take a sec. So uh, I would not say it's necessarily bigger than um, any of them. Uh, Next is the most analogous to Gatsby because they're both in like the React space. Jekyll's in I think the Ruby, like mm-hmm. built with Ruby, I believe. Um, so Gatsby is a static site generator, but I like to think it does so much more. Um, so we've been calling it kind of like an app compiler. Uh, basically, it's um, it's a compiler for your applications. It'll optimize your images, your JavaScript, your CSS, you know, everything that you don't really want to like fiddle around with. We'll do that all for you, and like serve up like a super performant, fast application. Um, cool. So if you haven't checked out Gatsby yet, definitely check it out. It's pretty cool stuff. It, it scares me because at the end of the day, I I know that basically we've brought somebody on the show who is like light years smarter than <laughs> either Aaron and I. So this is going to be great fun because I, and the reality is. Um, Aaron, of course, is a Ruby developer. I am a front-end developer, but not in the JavaScript space. So this is going to be a really interesting sort of chance to kind of learn some of this. And I mentioned yeah. that um, Dustin wrote, uh, or I guess wrote recorded is probably a better way to put it, the CSS and JavaScript course. Fantastic course. Uh, mm-hmm. Aaron and I both went through it before yep. jumping on the show, just so we would have a way to converse about this intelligently. <laughs> and it is incredibly good. Uh, And we'll have some information about it at the end of the show. First off, I want to stop for just a second. There, this last week, so we're recording this last week of February, not last week, next to last week in February. Google has just put out on, uh, not just put out, it has been a while coming, coming, but they bought the .dev TLD from ICANN. Now they are making those TL, or the domains available on that TLD for purchase. And I, I just wanted to check because I'm sure Aaron, right? You went out and bought Aaron.dev. I have no well, doubt, right? Obviously, with yeah. with the twelve thousand dollars that I had sitting around. I mean, it's yeah. it it's money well spent at the end of the day, <laughs> right? So <Okay. laughs> what they did? So Google went out. They they bought this TLD and they set it up for developers, obviously, and they built some stuff in. Some of the cool, like one of the cool things about it is it's already got HSTS. Uh, built into the preload on the DNS entries. So any .dev domain name you use has to have SSL on it, period. Uh, that's wow. okay. that's cool. I, I And of course, we all know with what Google has done with Chrome in terms of warning people about secure sites and the way 
somehow it kind of factors into page rank whether or not you've got SSL enabled or not. This idea of them forcing it on .dev TLDs makes sense for them, I think. Mm-hmm. I kind of have viewed this as an alternative to the .io domain name. Yeah. I, I, I saw that there was like github.dev already, and I'm not sure I understand. So we have github.com, and I love github, but github.com, github.io, and github.dev now? And what's on github.dev? Is I it just no a, a is it just an alias forum? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Do you remember remember when it was just like I don't mean it's on old and crotchety here, but like when when the TLDs it was like, you know, dot com, dot net, dot org, dot gov, and dot edu, and then some the country codes and maybe a smattering of some others. But it was sort of like the purposes of the TLDs we're sort like dot com was for commercial dot net was for service providers dot edu was higher ed dot gov was government and dot org was supposedly like maybe nonprofit maybe not but like they sort of had roles for all the tlds i have no idea what all the new tlds like what the roles are for them <laughs> i can and tell you what dot xxx is for for really really big websites triple extra, extra large websites extra 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 large yeah. it's for the vin diesel it's the vin diesel top domain <laughs> um, I just I just pulled up GitHub.dev at your website closer to your code, so it's they've got a personal website generator. Oh, okay. That they're promoting through it. Was that what GitHub.io did though? Well, I don't know. Uh, yeah. yeah, anymore. That's why I say I, I look at it kind of as an alternative to that because I see yeah. it as a TLD meant to provide resources to or for developers, basically. Yeah. I've talked to some other folks who will use that use it as a development site so they yeah. will build things on that so they can show it to other people you know if they're working with a client or whatever they'll put the site under that dot dev domain temporarily um, yeah i mean it's definitely a neat idea and i have every intention i will buy fiend dot dev please don't yeah. well it won't matter by the time you hear this episode i will have bought it so it's okay <laughs> the, the the nutty part is though nutty brilliant in a way uh what google did was they have started pre-selling these domains. So for the the week that, that we're like recording this pre- episode, pre-boarding an aircraft, kind of yeah. So you know when you get in, I am the flight attendant tonight. So oh yeah yeah, yeah. You, you know this. Yeah. You you obviously are are, are well versed in the group boarding process. <laughs> you pay your extra forty dollars and you mm-hmm. get your domain early. Hmm. But like you said, it's not forty dollars. Uh, the initial round was twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> Give or take five hundred, and they slowly step it down every day of the week down to one hundred and twenty-five dollars. At which point, everything opens up and it's your normal twelve dollar a month, or uh, sorry, twelve dollar a year registration fee. Mm -hmm. the The idea being that if you really absolutely must have your domain at the onset, squatting. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a terrible idea. Quite. You know, quite certainly it, it and it also gives them a way if for those who don't know, if you want a custom TLD uh, from yeah. ICANN, it costs one hundred and eighty five thousand dollars to get that. Yeah. Plus, they have to vet you and right. consider you real. Like if you were just a dude with one hundred and eighty five thousand dollars, they're not going to give you a well, TLD. Do you remember the dot sucks TLD? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that, but less mean. <laughs> I get what Google's doing there. I think it's cool. I, there's one of the best sites I've seen on it that they launched with early on was accessibility.dev. Ooh. 
they've got a color contrast checker and a page checker there. Um, and you know, there's documentation on how to build accessible websites. I think that's cool. very cool. It, cause I think it very clearly articulates that this is a development resource and I like that yeah. thinking. Um, nice. I do wonder, and Dustin, uh, to throw the ball in your court a little bit, you know, how that's going to factor into a lot of open source projects, uh, and like, is there going to be a Gatsby.dev and what would be on it? Versus that's actually, that's actually a great question. We were talking about it yesterday internally. Uh, <laughs> no one better buy it from under us because we're going <laughs> to wait it out a couple, couple more days at least. But um, uh, we, yeah, we were thinking maybe for like um, air messages. So um, we have like a Gatsby.app uh, domain we use to like link to like documentation. Um, and so we were going to maybe see if we can look into Gatsby.dev and then, you know, forward slash like some air message that we can show in our code. And then you can pull that up and it'll redirect to you know, oh, documentation. That, that's cool. a neat idea. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, like if you're getting referred from something internal to the application, it's like, here's something that, you know, this error message isn't going to be useful to the normal user. But if you're building the site, mm-hmm. it's like, I, I you know, kind of like when I admit I use Windows in my day to day life because most of us do. And, you know, you get the blue screen and they give you the error code and you have to go search for it. They throw the QR code up there, but we all know that's not very useful. <laughs> but having that resource that's like, we're going to give you detailed information on why this happened. Here's where to go get it. That's a cool idea. I like that. Yeah. I also it's saw a- um, there's a recent new nodejs.dev site as well. So we're talking about, huh. you know, a few of these. Um, that one's kind of cool. Uh, it's built with Gatsby. So if you haven't checked it out, go cool. check it out. It's a Gatsby app, uh, another .dev domain. Well, yeah, we'll throw some uh, links up to some of that too. Uh, it's a uh, it's interesting to me too because from the the standpoint of who's going to get in where is of course valuable in some of that space. Um, how people plan to use it will be very interesting, and what individuals are going to do with it, I think, will be kind of just neat to watch unfold and see because it is a high value domain. There was a lot of hand wringing that went on uh, early on because. A lot of people use .dev in local environments as oh they're my gosh, developed. right? And yeah. when it showed up in Chrome, uh, some smart folks found it in some of the Chrome code that they were reserving this .dev TLD before they had announced anything. Mm-hmm. It was like, what are we supposed to do? Um, our answer was, we just started using .local. <laughs> it, it was easy. Work for now. <laughs> hey, so before we get to the meat of the topic, the the talking about boarding a plane in groups i saw an awesome visualization by cgp gray about different plane boarding algorithms it's 16 minutes long or 20 minutes long or something like that um and it just shows people boarding a plane in with different yeah like patterns do it do it, it like the outside to inside yes well no not outside to inside but uh but the most i can't remember the name of it, it was like like the shift modified or so, something like that but it it was every it was like all all window goes in and then all middle seat and then all aisle seat yeah outside um, to inside yeah yeah but but <laughs> rather than like back to, oh okay is that what you meant okay outside then yes yeah. yeah i thought you meant like uh, both sides of the plane inwards oh um, no yeah that's yeah. that's mechanical <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's it's uh, really cool uh, um let's see if i can do like an rto or something for this this is really neat so the meat and potatoes of this evening is all about CSS in JS. And 
I think uh, I want to start because obviously we need to define what that means because for a lot of folks, CSS and JS, you know, the, the closest they maybe have gotten is using like jQuery dot, you know, CSS and passing in their, their stuff. There's a quote from a Hacker Moon article we'll throw in um, that's got a ton of information about this. Uh, the way they defined it was they said, uh, no longer do you have to maintain a bunch of style sheets. CSS in JS abstracts the CSS model to the component level rather than the, the document level. And I thought that was a relatively good defini definition of what we're going to be talking about this evening. And this idea of how do we take these giant style sheets that we write, and whether you've done them in SAS or, uh, or something of that nature, um, and spread them out whether you've got lots of handwritten CSS, uh, because we all do it from time to time, um, this is a way of abstracting that concept. And so that's what we're, we're looking at. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's dive in. So why? Let's talk about why. And this comes down to the scope problem. Uh, I think is... is I'm going to say the scope problem, and I, I think that's a fair assessment, uh, and I'll let Dustin correct me on that if there's maybe more to it than that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so I'd say scoping is probably one of the most easily like quantifiable and like understandable benefits. Um, so people who've you know written CSS more than just like on like a small like trivial app have probably ran into a case where like you apply a message class to something. And then, or like a button class to something, and um, you know, you apply color blue, and then your button uh, is red, and you're like, well, like why the heck is this button red? Like I applied this rule, color blue, it should be red. And so the scoping problem is basically uh, in CSS that every class, um, every selector is kind of like global, um, and so it's really easy to run into conflicts by basically conflicting with some existing uh, rule that someone else wrote that you might have wrote, written and forgot about it. Um, so yeah, that, that's one of the, the, the easiest uh, benefits to kind of talk about with CSS and JS because it kind of gets rid of this whole issue. Yeah, and it, it comes back right to what we talked about in that uh, episode 13 where yeah. the whole idea comes down to this idea of the struggle we have as an industry with the C in CSS. Mm -hmm. Style sheets are meant to cascade. That's how they were designed. And this idea that if you you know, do a star selector and say, you know, font size 18, <laughs> then you expect everything on the page to be font size 18. And that was, at its time, you know, that was a revolutionary concept, this idea that we could just make everything on the page look a certain way. Um, well, I, th I think that a lot of, I mean, knowing knowing why the star selector wouldn't do that, or knowing why if you make a uh, like a button class that makes it the button blue or whatever um but it doesn't work correctly like knowing why beforehand or knowing how to fix it is something that comes with experience um i i rarely ever have scoping issues with the css that i write i do a lot of stuff in sass so like you can innately put your styles underneath like you know basically create nested blocks and then if you make a message class or an alert class or something but it's underneath the parent block you'll never run into a scoping problem except within that block. Yeah. Do, do um, you do you use like like BEM or like an approach like that usually or something kind of like it? <laughs> I don't. I've looked I've looked at BEM. I'd say that my approach is probably the closest to BEM overall, but like 
not strictly. I, yeah, I I kind of just do. I I go for very semantic looking class names, and I try to let the I try to use the HTML tags themselves as much as possible, um, only overriding them with classes when it makes semantic sense. Um, so it I've looked at tachyons after the article. Uh, the not the article, the episode thirteen about that. Um, and I had already seen BEMS. I've looked at Atomic CSS also. I don't know. Like I, At- I know the version that I know, and it works for me. So I haven't had much incentive to change. <laughs> Atomic CSS is a whole other world of pain. Let me just say that. Out here. <laughs> it's neat. It's a very cool implementation, but it is not as easy as people would have you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, that- my uh, I, I guess my main thing is like. I don't ever want to tell someone that like what you're doing is not, you know, good. Cause like if, if you have solutions to this problem, like all the more power to you, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But, but generally I like CSS and JS cause it's kind of like automating these like things that I could do manually. Um, and you know, for instance, like if you're diligent, if you're following BAM, if you're following like this nesting structure, like that might work great. Um, but you know, our industry is all about like using automation to solve problems that you don't want to solve or don't really want to think about. And so, mm-hmm. Like why not? Why not use automation? Why not use you know some of these tools we'll talk about to um, like solve this scoping problem? Um, and so to me, it makes a lot of sense to use CSS and JS. One thing you do in your course that I think is really cool is you talk about the use of like props and uh, like the attributes, right? Props. Yeah. Uh, okay. Props. Yep. Yeah. So there's a way to like have the props. Uh, kind of like automatically update the behavior of the CSS class. Um, that's that's cool. Like I, that was something that I didn't know that you could do before I saw your course, and I thought that was really neat. Um, it's still like I still feel like some of it is weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a, a violation of separation of concerns. Like, but um, we can get to that later. <laughs> it's very much and so to talk a little bit about you know, the skills that come into this. As we talk about CSS and JS, one of the important things to keep in mind is this is a very, and I'm not going to say entirely because that's not the right way to put it because obviously these tools can be cross-applied in some cases, but um, it is a very React-centric methodology. And while we may look at, uh, you know, when we we talk about uh, a pattern like CSS BIM, which for those that aren't familiar, CSS BIM is a style of naming your classes where you go block element modifier. And it's this idea of trying to apply a convention. CSS itself, CSS is extremely well understood across the board as far as I'm concerned. And now that we know it so well, now we're trying to figure out how to do it really efficiently. <laughs> Leave it up to programmers to take something that has been solved and then make it unsolved again. <laughs> <laughs> And the scope problem, I think, is very real because even even if an individual is very well-versed in how their stuff may apply to other elements and how they can write classes to have it not affect other things, it's still a problem that people learning it go through and, and this challenge that they realize, mm-hmm. oh, crap, I've written this one rule and, you know, because of the way the selectors are inheriting the stuff from you know, whether it's star, mm-hmm. body, P, any of these things, this problem becomes very challenging for them to understand. And it's part of the arc that every developer is going to go through. Yeah. From day one, when they pick up CSS and realize that they can have power over it, 
they're going to learn that scoping is a challenge. And then down mm -hmm. the road, they will realize they can address that. And there are a million ways with which to do that. And that's what BEM does. And that's what I think we're looking at here in React specifically. Like this pattern is yeah. very much anchored in that. And if you're going into that JavaScript realm, so to speak, uh, I, I really like this as an approach versus, say, yeah. inline styles. Because inline styles are a very popular way Again, when you start, it's the first thing you learn. So you kind of figure out, oh, I can do all this. This is the evolution. I would say if you're if you've already decided I'm going to do React for this project, like this is definitely the approach you want to do. Um, and I, uh, Dustin, your your course is specifically based around React, right? I don't think I missed any sections. Yeah. Like, so yeah. It, it is it is like. The first couple modules, you know, just like collections of videos are like React focused because we use a library that is a React library. Um, mm -hmm. But the last couple of sections and kind of like interwoven throughout are CSS and JS like approaches or CSS and JS approaches that don't require React. It's so one of my favorites is CSS modules. Um, mm -hmm. Hopefully we'll get a little more into that. But um, mm -hmm. while, while it, it's kind of exploding in the React space, this whole idea of CSS and JS, um, other, you know, libraries like Angular, like Vue, um, et cetera, they all have like a very CSS and JS like approach for authoring your styles. So I think, I think we're going to keep seeing it kind of like be a definitive, like go-to for a lot of these newer libraries and frameworks. It's, it's a methodology, right? That how you execute on that methodology has options. Mm -hmm. the, um, the, the library you use in the first part of the, the, um, sorry, <laughs> your course brain um is a styled component uh it's called yeah it's called styled components um so it was so i i like to think of like css and js as kind of like a spectrum that initial definition we had kind of works um i think it i think it really varies like to me css and js is just producing a style with javascript so like that technically means you know if you're writing your styles in jquery like to me that's kind of by, by like the dictionary definition that's css and js uh, but that's like on like the left end, like inline styles are CSS and JS, but they're not really a way I'd recommend. And so some not refined. Yeah, it's like a it's like a more iterative, um, solves some some similar problems that some of those other approaches might solve, uh, but does it in I think like a much more in a much nicer, more developer friendly way. And and I like I like the styled components deal, and that's something I was again aware of, but I hadn't used at any capacity, uh, and. The one thing, if I have any complaint about any of this, it's the nomenclature. I've, <laughs> I've had a couple conversations when we started scheduling this uh, this interview. I went out and I started talking with some of my other developer friends about what their opinions were on CSS and JS and styled components and things like this. And I discovered that when I said phrases like styled components, <laughs> they they didn't know that that was a an NPM package. Like that was, they just thought about it in terms of you're styling a component kind of right. thing. That's, that's like the biggest complaint I think I'd have is that it's a thing. Like it's an actual architectural element of the, of your package. That's, that's the toughest part. Let's though, uh, switch gears real fast because the big part about this comes down to, uh, what the value is. Because like you said, you could write inline styles in your React app. You could sit down, and so when you create uh, React components, you have a lot of power with regard to 
how you define your attributes, how you define what the actual component itself is called and how it renders. And so a lot of folks will say, we'll just write the styles inline. It changes quickly. It's something that, you know, again, React is named that way for a reason. It's designed to change very quickly in a single page app, an SPA as the, uh, the the nomenclature goes, I like that word. I studied Latin in high school, so nomenclature has a, a, <laughs> a warm spot in my heart. <laughs> but this idea that this gives you a way to pull it out a little bit and write normal CSS that applies within, you know, your React components and things. So there are a lot of advantages. There are some drawbacks as well, I think, that uh, are only fair to address in, in that context. So. The first thing that comes to mind immediately is when you start talking about React in general and you're building these components, the reusable nature of them and the ability to say, I'm going to have, and I'm going to use the context of styled components because that's what you use, Dustin, in, in the course. Um, if I write a component in that way, it makes everything nicely articulated. It's all in one bubble. And if I had to pick that up and use it somewhere else, it's all contained. Everything is right there. I don't need to bring in extra stuff or anything like of that nature. That reusability and portability of the code that this employs, to me, is where I see this becoming immediately valuable. As opposed to, okay, now i got to have a style sheet. The style sheet may have other stuff that isn't relevant to this, whatever the case may be. It, it reminds me a little bit of, um, remember... Uh, say five ten years ago, when you would want to download like a like a jQuery widget of some kind, uh, like Chosen or Autocomplete, one of those. Um, you know there'd always be like some uh, just a smidgen of styles that would be like brought in beforehand, and then you would include the JS file, then you include the CSS file, then well, your stuff and jQuery UI is yeah comes immediately yeah. to mind. Like yeah. okay, that's cool. You have jQuery jQuery. <laughs> jQuery UI, <laughs> but you also have to include jQuery uh, UI.css and, and right. all of that yeah. because by itself it wasn't enough. Whereas right. this feels like it makes all of that nicely uh, compartmentalized. It sort of puts it into one thing. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I kind of started my career writing jQuery mobile. So I, I, <laughs> I know I know that, that problem and it's like, oh, now I got to... You know, I got the CSS and I got to grab the JavaScript. I got to import them in the right order and like, you know, all of this stuff. So, yeah, I think I, I do think one of the benefits is that they're just really easy to like get up and running with. So um, if you're working on a, like, like a component library or you just if, if you want someone somewhere to use this component, it makes the setup uh, really quite easy. Um, you don't have to configure Webpack. Um, I mean, besides already you know, for the JavaScript stuff, you don't have to configure another loader for mm -hmm. CSS. Yeah. Basically, you import this one component. And the styles come along for the ride. Um, so it's a really, it's really nice for reusability and just getting up and running really quickly. It, it, right, it prevents uh, leakage. That's the thing that we always deal with. And, <laughs> and I think about, and we'll, we'll talk about this uh, a little later uh, as well. But this idea that you change a style thinking you're fixing one thing, but you break three others because you didn't realize how that cascades, the C in CSS, as it were. Um, and I, I don't, I, I know that keeps getting brought up. I don't think that's as much of a problem as we're making it out to be, but maybe that's because I write bomb CSS. 
<laughs> I think the I, I I think the cascade can be like helpful. Like sometimes you want to like target this particular element, this particular like class, but generally that's not always what I want to do. And so like you know if we think of the importing the CSS approach, so let's say that you are really diligent about your own CSS. Mm-hmm. All right, but now you import this library or this package or this component library. Well, they have their own classes. They don't even know what those classes are. Um, and so sure. you know, you're importing both of these. Now you might have a conflict and you really can't know about it. So like one of the nice things about using style components or a CSS and JS, you know, library is that you can like with like pretty high degree of like certainty, like this is not going to impact anything else, um, yeah. particularly from a style perspective. And I think it's, I'm more worried because I work in an, uh, a distributed environment. I'm in Kansas. I have another developer in Pennsylvania. I have another one in Boston. I have another one in Boston. Uh, two in Boston. That's the way that, that that's how that translates. <laughs> I have full and complete utter faith in the CSS I write because I also write bomb CSS. <laughs> but it's when I have to work with a lot of other people also writing CSS that I feel like that's where we run into the problems and that's where the the worst examples of that leakage can happen mm-hmm. or those cases where i change something thinking about the context that i've used it in and the thing i wrote it for and somebody went oh well you use that centered class let's say something very generic and it should have only centered text let's be honest it shouldn't have done more than that if i'd written it right. in in a really bomb way to use the 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 young people's lingo. Uh, I think I'm older than you are. You are. Congratulations. But those environments are where I think that it really starts to show. um, And uh, like I say, we are not a a JavaScript uh, dev shop. So we are writing just, you know, SAS and letting it go. And it's a constant fight back and forth sometimes of, of making sure to ask, hey, if I change this class, What's it going to impact? Uh, because I know what I wrote, but when I've got two to three other devs that I have to uh, have consideration for, there's a lot of crosstalk, and that happens. And that's that's a problem not just with CSS, but like if you're using Git repos and all of that, you know, that idea mm-hmm. of checking your merge conflicts and making sure that you know you're not overriding old stuff or using different branches. There's a lot of of uh, cooperation that has to come into play to make that really work well. I think a lot of that's a training issue, though. Like, if I, I definitely, I definitely see, have seen the things that you're you both mentioned. Um, I typically see it with like junior developers when they're writing CSS. They just have, they don't have the experience to know when to make different considerations and choices about how they're structuring their CSS. Um, and that's just, I mean, it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so. it, it's almost like I, I kind of don't understand it sometimes because. I think a lot of people are like, well, I write good CSS, like my, my walled garden, bomb, right? my, CSS, bomb CSS. my CSS is bomb. <laughs> like, it, uh, it, it's, it's almost like an argument for like laziness in some sense, but like, I don't, I don't want to be diligent like that. Like, I don't, I don't want to have to like, you know, enforce all of these like standards and practices, you know, whether it's BEM, whether it's nesting, whether it's like diligence, like, of course I want people writing good code. I'm not advocating for, you know, write some like <laughs> horrible, horrible code because, you know, you can be lazy. But I, I want to focus on, like, building things out. I don't want to focus on, like, fighting CSS even for 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's really appealing. Two people can write the absolute best CSS for their circumstances. <laughs> but 
when put together, there can always be unintended consequences. Uh, anybody who's ever, if you've ever wondered how CSS works, there is an equation basically that comes into play that factors how CSS specificity is worked mm-hmm. out. Uh, it's very straightforward if you're using one selector, but when you start nesting selectors, it gets very complicated. And the best written CSS on the planet, when combined with other CSS that is written the best way possible, can still cause conflicts that can't necessarily be foreseen unless you ask the right questions at the right time. That's That has been my experience. I still think that's an edge case. Um, I'm, I remain unconvinced that that is as big of a problem as, as perhaps we're, like we're really focusing in on it, but I, I don't think it's that big of a problem. So, I mean, I, <laughs> we, we, we could just like disagree on that. I think so. I, 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 yeah, I do disagree, but, yeah. but uh, kind of like, I guess kind of like a, by way of an example, um, I think generally our, uh, not generally, our, I think our team is really solid. Like we, we ran into this yesterday. So we had a CSS specificity issue. It's actually like fairly hard to debug. Um, so we have our own CSS. We use a, a style components like library. We have uh, a library that bundles CSS, our, our router. And they have the same specificity. Um, so we're having, we have a class selector. We have an attribute selector. Those mm-hmm. count for the same. Uh, order matters. So n- not only does you know, the like, type of thing you're targeting, you know, IDs higher than class, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which is not like an easy mental model to have. But like, we were including that CSS after our own CSS. So mm-hmm. that one wins out. Not because it's, it's more specific, just because it literally came after in our, yeah. our tags. And so like, like this... It is like an edge case in the sense that it doesn't happen like super often, but mm-hmm. it happens often enough that like I, I do think it is like a problem that people run into. I think everybody will run into it at some point, mm-hmm. at least yeah. once. I did that. Not even I say I'm. We're not a React shop uh, with WordPress, and realizing mm-hmm. that a theme that we were using compiled custom CSS, and we needed to set the priority on the hooks because. Their CSS was loading after ours, so we weren't overriding properly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a little thing, but those, that order, my CSS was perfect. It was the, the PHP code that wasn't right <laughs> in that case. So it, there's, there's so, it's so weird how this can come into play that wasn't foreseen. I think that understanding, like knowing how to write good CSS selectors and how to stru- structure your CSS, I think is, um, it's, I'm going to use the term language, and I'll clarify in a moment, uh, similar to like um, like regular expressions or something. It, it's, it's a language that you're using to communicate with the document about where you want the thing to go. And, and that's where I think the experience comes in, because if you know, for example, like, well, I want um, I, something I deal with at work. So we have like, you know, the Rails flash hash. It's just like a little like toaster pop up comes out at the top. If if I had like a like a, a notice class or something, we might use a notice in a p tag, the content area. But when I'm making that notice styling for the header, I know this is the notice that's going in the header only, and so I would use like the direct descendant um, operator just to indicate like, well, I only want it to be on the notice divs that show up in here, and then never you know the, that that style will never apply anywhere else because it's scoped properly. Um, and I know what you're saying about like the the issue of order matters, like how the files are loaded. Um, 
and but I, I think that's also something just like with experience, you know, you load the uh, the lowest dependency things first, and then you the most dependent things last, um, just so that in case there is a specificity override, that it happens the way you want it to. You know, with the the counterpoint that I think goes there is I've been writing CSS a long time. Uh, I mm-hmm. and I do. I I think my CSS is generally very very good. Maybe not bomb, but very very good. <laughs> and even with my junior devs, when we're doing code review. There comes a point where I fully admit I sometimes scan a little loosely. <laughs> and in I, I think in a perfect world, the way CSS inheritance works and you know the order of things and all that, we would catch all of that and know it. Uh, but I, I think the reality is just a little bit looser. Mm. I think is the only way to put it. I, I you know, we we make mistakes. We're people. And we're people trying to fix, uh, you know, computer problems. And we're trying to say, you know what, in this case, let's just let the computer solve the problem. Um, yeah. And and that's maybe the big value there. Because at the end of the day, uh, we haven't talked about this yet, and, and maybe we should have, that the idea behind CSS and JS is that every single element that is styled mm-hmm. gets a granular class that is unique to itself. And so... The possibility of you know any overlap is virtually impossible, um, mm-hmm. not mathematically impossible, but yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> well, it's like ha- it's like hashes, right? Yeah, just, you'd have to have a hash collision. Yeah, it, it it takes the content of your style, creates like a unique hash, globally unique to your app, and so it, there's it's a guarantee that it won't collide with at least your own styles. Um, yeah, which is a pretty nice guarantee. Yeah, so you always know your CSS will only apply to the thing you wanted it to apply to. That's huge. Yeah. Um, you know, that's it. It is very. It's a unique approach, I think, in in that way. And we've talked about this with other CSS patterns, but the way that CSS and JS goes about it is so granular to the point of even including, you know. Uh, and this comes down to like which package you're using. Like if you're using styled components, it factors in all the vendor prefixing for you, everything you need to not think about that we use SAS mixins for and things like that. Mm. You know, these components take care of and it alleviates some of that cognitive need to did I name it right? Did I put it in the right place? <laughs> did I use a direct descendant selector or an any descendant selector? You don't have to think about a lot of that, which is I think very cool. Yeah, for sure. And like, like, if I'm not clear, I, I want to make it like super clear. Like, if 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 you like writing CSS and if you have standards in place for writing CSS and that works for you, like, I'm not coming here saying like let's <laughs> do this right now. Uh, but what I what I am kind of saying is like, I think it's really like freeing and it's like a nice thing for your team to not have to like start day one with training and like, oh, mm-hmm. here's CSS and there's this you know four hour training or eight hour training and then you know they still screw stuff up because CSS. It's challenging, in my opinion. You know, so, so like it's 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 really nice to be like, hey, here's this library. Um, you know, write your style like you did in your CSS files. Don't come up with a class name yourself because you don't have to. And you know, you get this styled element that won't conflict with anything else. And so to me, that's like reducing the barrier to entry in in some sense of like getting up and running and developing quickly. And I'm not going to come here and say there's no learning curve to this. Like there's a learning curve to anything. Oh yeah. But I I, I think it solves some problems with automated tooling that. Are like really nice for developers of all skill levels. I think I added learning curve as a disadvantage to to this. 
but I think I need to I think reassess it goes on both, that. Yeah, I, I, I need think to it reassess it. goes on both it. sides. Yeah. Absolutely. Because for somebody who knows React and is already a React developer, mm-hmm. I don't think there would yeah. be any learning curve to this, frankly. And if anything, I do think it would be much easier as an approach. You'd have to learn it handful of styles but yeah yeah i mean if you so if you know css um and if you like kind of understand like the react component model like you'll understand style components so like it it is you know effectively real css so like earlier we were mentioning descendant selectors you know media queries like whatever all of that can go on your style component and it it works just like regular css i did see in your course that you can do the pseudo selectors and the media queries in the with that styled components module and that's really cool and it translates well. Yeah. Like, I, as somebody who writes SAS, seeing yeah. how that worked inside of those, uh, uh, what are called template literals uh, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, of JavaScript development, uh, I understood what was happening there, mm-hmm. which I think was good because it means my existing knowledge would translate if I had to jump into that realm. And that's that's huge. Like, being able to see that and know oh, yeah, I nest that stuff all the time. I can nest it over here. It's a little different, I, but not hugely different. I have, I have one small gripe with the the class, the hash classes. I, what would you call them? Um, uh, auto-generated hashes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Auto-generated classes. A- atomic classes. Hashes. How do we like that? <laughs> all right. So I completely understand the benefits, and I, and I do agree that that is super useful and, um, you know, knowing for effectively 99 with triple nines or whatever percent certainty that this class will only apply here etc i get that i but i have also tried to like debug an app where i did have a weird css thing where i had to add a css class to uh, a thing that a component that already existed and like trying to like figure out the disposition of all these different divs and everything else when all of the class names are all hashes is like, Oh my God, shoot me. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if you, have, I don't know. If there was like this tweet making the rounds recently of like Twitter's style or Twitter's Dom uh, oh my God. The, yeah. the structure. So they use a library last I checked called um, react native web. Uh, in particular, like this, it's a CSS and JS library. Um, the, the style sheet implementation uh, part of it. And mm-hmm. it, yeah, it similarly generates like this hash name for class names. So, Agreed. Like it can be a little harder to debug. Um, but one kind of cool thing with style components and with this other library I like called Emotion is um, there are plugins uh, that you can just configure with like you know a true or a false that you can kind of turn on like humanized class names in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so for instance, it'll be a it'll have that hash, and then the next one will be like the name of my component. So mm-hmm. if I call this thing like header, it'll be like style dash header. There's a a Babel plugin for that, isn't there? I think. Yep. Um, yeah. and, and it's actually, I'm, I'm like too, too into it. it there, there's a, a macro now, but it's effectively a plugin um, that does that for you. So like people really like to slam CSS and JS for that. And like fair, like it is kind of like easy, like hard to like look at this down structure and be like, oh God, like what is this? But um, there, there are ways around that. You know, you don't have to well, do it that way. I, I think that's also because when you're doing to, like the newer, all, all the new kids, with their the React and the JavaScripts and everything else, um, you have you have different approaches towards debugging, and you have different tools available, like the ones you just mentioned. And so you aren't going to do the way that we uh, older developers are doing it, which was to like you know view source and then or like use a DOM inspector or something, 
So, I mean, it's, it's also possible just that, you know, it's an inconvenience for me because I'm not using the tools you are. Yeah, no, it's a, there was a pretty interesting tweet. Um, it, uh, it was like a, like a class war or something. And it's not really, I don't necessarily think it's that, but there is like, I've seen a bunch of tweets that's like, you know, like rest in peace, like view source of the web, like, another, <laughs> like you know, like confidence and JS like cause. And like, I, I do think that people tend to like debug things differently. Um, and yeah, like if, if, if you want to like view source, like it can be a little harder with some of these like mm. newfangled JavaScripts and reacts and, you know, whatever, but, um, I think it's worth it. Like, I, 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 I think that, well, so if, if, if we go back to like edge case, mm. like, you know, like your CSS edge case might be like 1%, your debugging time might be 1%, like mm-hmm. time and edge case in some sense too. Um, so yeah, use, use the great yeah. tools we have available. I mean, like, you know, a lot of people cut their teeth with like Firebug or whatever, like mm-hmm. so much better than anything we used to have. So like use the tools available. Uh, it does suck something, you know, like I'm not going to come here and say like, it's it, like semantic HTML and CSS is beautiful. Um, yeah. So I, I, I lament the loss of that sometimes too, but they're a little behind us and like, I'm, I'm okay moving forward with some of this new stuff. And I'll admit that when I do like an inspect, you know, on an element or something in my head, I think very semantically. And because I have been building these websites for, you know, more years than I care to admit, although I think I have on a past (laughs) episode, uh, (laughs) I, I want semantic things because I think that is the way to articulate stuff to folks who are trying to learn and, and, and that nature. But at the same time, I know when I open up an element and I say, this doesn't look the way I need it to, I'm not reading selectors. I'm going through the inspector just seeing where the rule is that is not mm. what I need it to be. And once I know where that is, then I go edit it. And the semantics actually don't come into play there for me as much as what file is it? And what is the selector? And once I know the selector, I'm just going to search for it. Yeah, and it's, it's actually super cool. Um, a lot of people, you know, think it's harder to debug this CSS and JS stuff. Um, a lot of the better libraries, like style components, they have source map support. So That's, that was my go, exact next question. Yeah, you, can, you can go and like click on and see this auto-generated class. You can click to where it's generated in the JavaScript. And you can see like, oh, this is where this this rule was, this class name was produced. Here's you know, where I go change it. Like I know exactly which file, I know which line, like, um, it's pretty, it's pretty great stuff. Even if it's, even if the end results a little like obfuscated and like hard to read for humans. Mm-hmm. Let, <laughs> let me switch gears just a hair because one of the other disadvantages that I've heard in the past, and I still wonder about is, you know, the idea behind CSS and JS is that you get this super atomic level CSS that only applies to that element. Um, and even if you're using, you know, if you go broader scope and go th- to the theme level and things like that, you still end up with a lot of CSS that is rearticulated over and over potentially. And I, I wonder about both like the bloat that that caused in the performance, though how that might compare to me writing CSS where I know probably a tenth to a quarter of my CSS probably is never used. I, and I have no way of knowing <laughs> like let's let, can we talk about just that as far as how you consider um, CSS and JS as it bloats code, but as it might also Im- even improve that performance because you know that what's there is being used. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, 
the sense that like uh, it's pretty easy to make your CSS bloated. Um, not saying everyone writes bloated CSS. You can write beautiful <laughs> bomb CSS. Uh, <laughs> it is really possible. Um, almost, almost bomb. Mike, Michael, we need to make that a shirt. Bomb, bomb, <laughs> bomb CSS. CSS. No, that's our next shirt. Yep. So um, with like a library like style of components, um, I basically the usage of this style is directly tied to the implementation of like where it's used. So I know this component uses like this CSS. And so I can like safely delete this component when I'm no longer using it. And I know like for a fact that this will not be the style won't be making its way into my, you know, generated CSS. And so what you basically get is like a guarantee again that like all my style is being used. Like um, critical CSS could not be easier with like a library like style components. Um, you don't have to use other tooling like a, this, might may have used some some tools to like you know parse your like above the fold content and then you know get CSS and then like load the rest. Um, if you take a look at like apps like Gmail and you know just just sometime look at some app, you'll see like the amount of CSS that's unused ranges from like seventy percent to like even like ninety percent. Um, <laughs> and with a library like style components or a CSS and JS approach, um, you know it's like ninety five to like one hundred percent of your of your style is going to be used because. When you delete the component that's styled, that style's gone from your code. Like it's mm-hmm. not used anywhere else. And it's hard to search for a negative, right? Like if I've got a, yeah. a perfectly written chunk of CSS in my SAS, a bomb piece, this is going to be a recurring joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've got about 20 <laughs> minutes left. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> if, if I've got that perfect chunk of CSS, but that element goes away, it becomes hard to search for the negative and say, what isn't, this is a challenge that has plagued front-end developers for ages where it's like how do i know if something is using this class because of the c in css that cascade depending on how i've written my selectors becomes very hard to know can i delete this safely without impacting anything and have you know my ceo come to me tomorrow and complain yeah it's, it's actually scary like you need like pretty solid like visual regression tests or just like a good qa team to like like know you're safely deleting unused code because like this could be used in ways you don't even like know on some like deeply nested structure in your application. Like I don't want to like rail on GitHub, but they're um, they had a screen yesterday where their footer was just in the middle of the page, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so it, someone probably deleted CSS targeting you know this this element and they're like oh this isn't used anywhere else and no it was you know it's a hard problem to solve. I got to give a shout out to my QA person too because. <laughs> Oscar, I know you're going to hear this. And dude does legitimate, hardcore, visual, uh, manual QA on everything and catches stuff that we would not even think to catch. And the work he does is phenomenal and can't be stated enough because it's it's hard to programmatically test yeah. for visual QA. You can do it. It's not easy. Um, and having a human who goes in there and puts eyeballs on stuff is worth their weight in gold. Oscar is a bomb QA tester. I love that. And that is our next shirt. I like it. <laughs> That's uh, shirt number two. Um, I want to talk about <laughs> use cases because the thing that really revolves around all this, and, and we said it early on in the show, this is a very react focused kind of thinking. And so it doesn't work for everybody and it's not appropriate for all use cases. And the thing uh, when I was sitting there, went through this, the, the course that Dustin put together, great time. I loved what I saw. I enjoyed, you know, the things that he was saying and and the way that he approached it. 
the one thing that came to mind was this works really well for application development. It mm-hmm. works less well for somebody doing normal website development, let's say, mm-hmm. because React itself is very focused on applications, I think. You know, most folks won't go out and build a website with React. They'll throw WordPress up or whatever. So let's, can we talk a little bit about where it is appropriate and not appropriate? Um, so <laughs> let's just set the table a little bit. What What's a website versus like, what's an app? Like, what, yeah, yeah, what's okay. the meaningful difference? <laughs> fair enough. That is a fair question. Let's, let's say it this way. If I'm using anything that isn't involved in, in JavaScript, it's probably fair to say that this does not work well in that environment. I, I would define the, I would define the two as it's, it's a continuum. And on one side you have applications and side you have websites. I'm doing air quotes here and applications are going to be things that have a lot more, uh, round trips to, whoops, to and from the server, uh, because the user is providing, um, input beyond simply, this is the page I want you to fetch now. So there's going to be like forms, there's going to be interaction uh, with the web page itself, whereas a website is typically more read-only, maybe with some requests to kind of filter that down. That's how I would define it. Much more transactional. It's, it's generally like a complexity thing too. Like a, a website is going to be simpler, probably just have like a little bit of like JavaScript for like flourishes. It's not going to be like powered by JavaScript in some sense or right. powered by right. server-side rendering or, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, um, so I work for Gatsby and our whole business model kind of is like, you know, we want to make all of these, we want to make applications. We want people to make websites like with our tool. Um, and so Gatsby generates like this, like static HTML with like, um, a runtime. So you can, you can do, you know, what are called websites. So like blogs and, um, you know, things that can typically be produced like statically and don't need like a ton of like client side JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it can produce apps as well. As far as how does CSS and JS, like, is it like overkill? So you, you mentioned that it's kind of like a continuum, like a spectrum of apps versus mm-hmm. websites. I think CSS and JS is the same. So for me, I like CSS modules quite a bit, which is kind of, uh, it solves one of the problems that style component solves. It kind of solves this. This Sorry. is your course. You cover that in your course? I do, yes. Okay. CSS modules is covered in my course. It's, it, okay. So in the same way that you get a unique cache with style components, you get a unique cache with um, CSS modules. And so it solves that, you know, the cascade, the, the global scope problem. And so, you know, it, that works really well for, like, a site, you know. Um, but um, as far as, like, whether I would use, like, React for... Uh, React style components for everything. I I would because Gatsby can produce sites and apps. But um, if you're not in the like fully JavaScript ecosystem, if you um, you know if you don't want to configure Webpack, if you don't want to like a build tool, like you you, you might not need a, a library like style components. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'll I'll throw out there real fast that uh, if you're interested in CSS modules, Robin Rendell has a great article over at CSS Tricks. We'll have a link in the show notes um, that will get you kind of introduced to that concept after you've watched Dustin's course. Yeah, after you go go through Dustin's course <laughs> first, obviously. Um I want to ask a, a really obvious question, and it's one that actually even after take going through the course and and watching everything that you talked about, it's it's something that I, I was a little fuzzy on, and that's 
can I use, let's say, let's go specifically with the styled components module. If I'm doing Angular development or view development, I've like I a while back went through the the tour of heroes um, uh, tutorial, which is an Angular like get you used to Angular development. Um, if I'm using one of those frameworks, can I use CSS and JS, or is it really restricted just to the React realm? Like, where is that useful? So uh, I I do cover this in my course um, in one in one section as well. Um, so it it depends. Um, because you know the whole like what is CSS and JS? If you ask different people, they might give you different answers. I'm a little more liberal with my definition, and so for me, it's kind of like using automated tooling, using JavaScript to um, solve some problem to like produce CSS. And so in in the Angular realm, they have this notion of like style URLs. Um, it's kind of web component T in a way. It'll apply like a, an ID to your element, um, and then that style URL will like be um, will target that element like for you. So mm-hmm. in some sense, that's a, it's kind of like CSS modules. It's a unique hash for your element. View has a scoped attribute on its style. Um, and both of these are kind of like CSS modules, um, some, some, some like web component-based approaches. They're, they're both trying to solve this scoping issue using like automated build time tooling. And so to me, that is CSS and JS. Um, uh, opinions may vary on that. That's probably a contentious <laughs> statement. Uh, but for me, it's, it's, it's using tooling, um, it's using JavaScript to solve a problem uh, for your styling solution. So to me, that is CSS and JS, and I, I think it's a fair definition of it. Because the alternative, right, is writing your CSS separately, whether that's with, you know, a SAS builder or whatever, Gulp, you know, using Gulp to build that, whatever the case may be, um, and writing it in the component file and letting styled components build out the... Because I think, right, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but when you uh, are using styled components, it spits all that out in line in the page you're using, right? So what, yeah, it's probably important to like actually define what style components does. Um, So style components, you write your code just like CSS, and what it will produce is um, style tags in your head tags. So when people get, when, like, when they hear CSS and JS, some people think like inline style. And to me, again, that is, you know, CSS and JS, but style components does not produce an inline style. So it doesn't have any of the same drawbacks. So yeah, it produces like a fully real. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just what you were saying. This makes this proper style tag. Yep. Yeah. It's, re- it's you know, quote unquote, like it is real CSS, like is what it, is what it produces. <laughs> so there's no like witchcraft and like, oh, like break up all here. Like it's, it's CSS. Does there, and this is a very basic question, but the thing that just popped in my head there is if I am using that and it puts out a page, Let's say, because I know uh, when you get into stuff like roots and things like that with uh, single page applications and things, it's all one page anyway, so it doesn't matter. But if it were not that case, can that be put into a, can can we output that stream into a CSS file that gets compiled? Uh, great question. So I am really glad you asked that. Um, so yes, and Gatsby allows you to write CSS and JS. Um, we have support for style components. We have support for like a number of like libraries and it will parse your styles. Uh, it'll parse your style component um, styles that, will, that it will produce and it'll kind of like short circuit it and it'll produce like a real CSS file. So yeah. there's very little drawback. Uh, and so that's, cool. that's a, it's an approach called like build time um, server-side rendering. So it'll um, invoke like React server-side renderer um, parse out the styles, and then create a real CSS file. So 
there's very like very little drawback. Um, yeah. So then you can lev leverage browser caching at exactly. that point. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then like when those um, styles change, like if there's used by you know some percentage of your um, like routes, because Gatsby doesn't produce a single page app. Gatsby produces a like multi-page app that feels like a single page app. Like it's you know separate HTML files, and it'll produce CSS, critical CSS for each page, which is pretty cool. So I want to ask one big question because it's relevant to me <laughs> and that's all that makes it big. That's, that is the only important thing in this entire equation is if it matters to me. Gutenberg. So with WordPress and all the development that's going on with Gutenberg, and I, I'm asking this because partly because I'm in the middle of a course in terms of block development, Gutenberg is built on React. And so I feel like when I start building out my blocks and uh, I've got some ideas uh, in the works that actually are relevant to the podcast um, and transcripting, if anybody is interested. Uh, <laughs> but with it being built on React, I feel like thinking about styled components, there feels like there is a synergy, not to use that as a fluffy word, but literal uh Gutenberg is built on React. I've got styled components. I've got CSS and JS. It feels like there's some opportunity there for me to look at these things in tandem. Is that a fair assessment based on me taking your course and sitting here uh, drinking monkey shoulder and feeling pretty <laughs> damn good? Uh, so I have not used Gutenberg. Uh, so generally, when I'll say always, when you use styled components, you need a build process. So... Yes. Um, in the JavaScript space, that's normal. There's like create React app, which people really like. There's Gatsby, which is like, you know, an app compiler, like I said earlier. So I don't know how these components are generated and like how they are written in the context of like WordPress. Mm. Um, I would be interested to actually check this out and like do a follow up and get back to you. Cause I, I'm sorry, I don't know offhand. I would imagine there'd be some, some setup costs of getting it like up and up and running. But I do think that WordPress using like kind of like adopting React is great. Uh, I think React is like kind of like eating the world. Like if you're going to learn any JavaScript library, yeah. learn, learn React. Uh, I would agree with that. But um, I haven't checked it out personally, so I can't like 100% confirm that would work. I'm I, so, I, sorry. Go ahead. No, so what I'm hearing is that when I start writing my transcript block, I can just pick up the phone, call you, and you're going to be like, "Yeah, let's look at this. <laughs> we're going to do some one-on-one -on -one time. Yeah, let's fix it." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I will. I will make that offer. I will, I will happily come figure this out. I, I want to learn about it myself, so it'd be cool to have an informed opinion about what I should think of Gutenberg. From from what I've seen of uh, style components from your course, I would say that um, Gutenberg blocks are definitely would be would be a great candidate for the strengths of styled components overall, because. Those sorts of like, I'm just knowing the WordPress community and all of the not bomb CSS that I've seen. It. <laughs> I'm sorry, maybe you should edit that out. <laughs> oh no, it's staying in. <laughs> well, anyways, it, WordPress is the the democratization of of the code and everything. Great, and I know so many of us got our start in there, but inexperienced developers make maybe things that have don't have the the knowledge to not collide with other people's things both php and the, the css but um yeah it it's hard it, yeah. it because it requires yeah. a level of prediction that can be very difficult 
and a lot of times you're working in like the, even if you do write good CSS, you're still working in the same namespace as other things. Like if I have a plugin that affects, I don't know, heading tags, and someone else on that also affects heading tags, and they're both in the post namespace, you know, you're gonna have more potential for collisions. And so I I will modify my earlier comments specifically for WordPress because I think WordPress is is definitely an edge case. But it's an edge case that would fit itself well to a solution like this. And I'll make the uh the the covenant with our listeners that between now and when this episode releases, I'm gonna reach out on Twitter. I'm gonna see if anybody is uh doing this right now, because I don't know of anybody that is off the top of my head. But if anybody is using, whether it's CSS modules or CSS and JS style components, JSS, uh, Emotion, any any of these things, um, I would be curious to know if anybody has taken that leap. Uh, because mm-hmm. I do, I, I think that there's a lot of value there. And that's, WordPress owns a third of the web. So what they do matters in that context. And I think that's why this particular topic is very important because this it may be the way that you know you write your WordPress plugins so that they never have to conflict with another one in terms of styling. Uh, and that's incredibly important, I think, and valuable at the end of the day. So um, let's talk about resources, though, because obviously uh, we've mentioned many times Dustin has a course. We're going to talk about that after the break. Don't worry about that. A, very good, very well written, uh, it is the exact right amount. I think what, uh, uh, correct me on this, Dustin, two and three quarter hours. Yeah. I'd say two to three hours. You know, some people like yeah. a little, but yeah, right around there. Like the least amount of time you can learn, uh, uh, commit to learning something and still learn all the things. It has transcripts. The transcripts are tag coded and you can click on the transcript and it will jump to that part in the, I, I was like, when I saw that you could do that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And you can speed you can up the change. playback. Yes. I, uh, yeah. I've gotten really used to being able to go into courses and hit like, uh, the one I was, I was doing one on Gutenberg recently. Um, and I could go up to 1.75 and I was like, I can take a little faster, <laughs> but the application <laughs> couldn't. So I was like, I, I was stuck at 1.75, but it is a great way to go in and learn this stuff, you know, and get a, a, a feel for it. And I do think that from a front-end development standpoint, it's whether or not you want to get good at it is not the point. It's knowing mm-hmm. that it exists and understanding how it plays into the ecosystem because you will potentially have to touch something that uses it at some point. Mm-hmm. So uh, CSS in JS Playground right is uh you made this right dustin i did make this yeah uh oh, so your thing stuck. yeah so there will be a link it's cssnjsplayground.com and so what this does is we mentioned before ah, and, cool. and we may not have done a great job of conveying this but this idea of css and js is an idea it's a concept and there are many ways to execute it and so it's a state of mind. Yeah, and and a lot of these folks have created <laughs> other libraries that apply this. And so what the playground does is lets you see how all of these different libraries that you could choose from, whether that's styled components, whether that's JSS, whether that's emotion, uh any of these different frameworks huh. 
they have slightly different, because it's like any framework, slightly different lexicon, slightly different taxonomy, um, but you can see how they apply. Am I, do I have that right? I hope I have that right. I just had it any better. Um, yeah, uh, so I, I wrote this, I gave a talk on CSS and JS, and it was the whole the whole idea is like, well, like, what is this? Like, like, what can you all do with it? And so I wanted a way that you could check out like a variety of different solutions. Um, so on the left is like the code, on the right is like um, a live editing demo of what the code with the styles building. And like so code pin, if you've seen a code pin or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, you just build the same form uh, in a bunch of different libraries and, you know, you look at the code that built it. So hopefully it's a helpful resource for people who want to like check out this space and learn okay. a little more about it. Can the user edit that? Is that something like they can go in and play with and see the results immediately too? Yeah, you can uh, go okay. in like change the styles. You can change the colors. You can. It's a. It's it's a. It's very code pen light. It's not as good as code pen. <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> just one of me. But um, yeah, it, it's it it works for that use case. Awesome. Cool. Uh, so give us a second. We're gonna go take off, uh, relieve ourselves, do the things. You don't need to know about that. That's too much information. <laughs> I understand. But I'm Michael, and you know how I am. Uh, give us a minute. We'll be right back. We'll wrap up and stick with us. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. Well, I want to take a second. I want to thank Dustin, man. Awesome. I appreciate you jumping on with us tonight. Um... Yeah, I know you. you are both busy and smart and important, and you do all the things that <laughs> I do not have the time to do. And for that, I have I have more respect than I know what to put in a box and send to you. Um, so the only thing I have to do at this point is to uh, give you the microphone. Tell folks uh, where they can find you, what you've got going on, uh, what projects that you want people to look at. Um, take whatever you need. You do that. All right. <laughs> Hopefully I can do it in like 30 seconds or so. Um, so yeah, follow me on Twitter. Um, Twitter, Shao Dustin. Um, S-C-H-A-U. It's not a super easy we'll, name to spell. We'll link it. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I tweet about CSS and JS. I tweet about Gatsby, um, which are hopefully things you're interested in, general front-end stuff. So if you want to learn more, um, you know, I'll feel free to reach out. I think I'm a friendly guy. Uh, happy to answer any questions, discuss anything, message me, you know, whatever you want. Um, as far as my course... Uh, it's really good to hear. People are liking it. That is awesome. <laughs> it's it's good that I don't have to say. I think it's good. I can someone can say it for me. So I appreciate the the kind words. Um, check out the course if you find any of this interesting. If you're running into any of the problems that I've identified, um, check it out. Or if not, if you think you might run into them, check it out. Um, hope I hope you like it. Uh, in the course, you build out like a blogging application 
and you learn some some of the concepts. I think in like a gentle like a gentle like gradual introduction. So um, I, I would agree with that. With yeah. The, so yeah. hopefully it's not like super intimidating or anything because the goal is kind of like start from the zero like and then you know hopefully get to where you can like actually use these these tools. Um, check out Gatsby. Uh, I work for a, a company called Gatsby. Um, it's interesting because it's an open source product. Uh, so we're building out. We will, we will make money hopefully soon. Um, uh, <laughs> it's, right now it's a really cool tool in the React space that I think is pretty revolutionary. Um, so check it out, gatsbyjs.org. Um, and thanks for listening, everyone. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to come talk something I'm passionate about. I want to ask a really stupid question, if I can. <laughs> because that's what I do oh. really well. And that, what, does the, <laughs> what does the name come from, Gatsby? What, where did you pick that from? What, is it literally the book, The Great Gatsby? What's well, that's, the... a, that's a good question. So um, everyone thinks like The Great Gatsby. Um, and so the CEO, Kyle, Kyle Matthews, um, has been asked that question like repeatedly. And he just liked the term. So no, no, <laughs> no affiliation with The Great Gatsby. Um, just a cool word. Like, cool, cool word. This is like the normal Gatsby. <laughs> Good, cool. the one that the one that isn't killing people with car and throwing massive parties and waking up the neighbors this one is the one that does nine to five pays their taxes and like helps their community <laughs> i feel like i'm like outing myself too because i i have not read the great gatsby so oh. I, I should read the great gatsby at some point. i feel like i was supposed to back in high school but that was the exact perfect time that a website called Sparknotes came into being <laughs> where you could go and, and get for free. Like the, it was Cliff Notes, but better and free. <laughs> um, I don't know what it is today because I'm 37. I don't need to pass high school courses. Anyway, <laughs> folks, thanks for listening this week. Oh, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. We have what? Uh, we have a coupon code. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Please tell me. There's, there's a, we're, we're supposed to give this to everyone, right? This Please. one? Yeah. yeah. I need you to tell me, Aaron. Please tell me. POD Drunk UX 19 is a coupon discount code for any of you listeners can use, and it will give you a discount on uh, this course. It may be on other courses, or is it just this course? Okay, so here's the deal, right? If you go to, uh, is it manning.com? M A N N I N G. It is a uh, they they are a technology publisher of sorts. Uh, I had not heard of them before this. Uh, Aaron, I you had an I, account with them. I did. I didn't remember hearing of them, but apparently I did because I have an account already. So, <laughs> so somewhere Surprise. along the lines, they had crossed uh, uh, Aaron's yeah. radar. So <laughs> if you go to to their website, it's uh, Manning.com, uh, and enter Pod Drunk UX. 19 sorry pod drunk ux 19 i know it's long i didn't choose it it's not my fault don't blame me it is it will get you a discount uh i realize now that i don't know how much of a discount i don't know if it's 10 percent, 20 percent. i just know that's the, the discount code yeah and you <laughs> I'm, all get it i pulled it up i was using all of this rambling as a chance to pull it up and and confirm that and i realized I, it doesn't even say so <laughs> But at any rate, go check them out, uh, manning.com. Look up the CSS in JavaScript by Dustin Chow. Pod Drunk, 19, Pod Drunk UX 19 will get you a discount. Uh, but we'll, we'll better than that. Too. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, obviously we'll send the link because that's just the way that works. Better than that, if you are a listener of the Drunken UX podcast and you follow us on Twitter or Facebook or any of those things, here's what you do. 
go to those places wherever you're following us and just mm-hmm. share or retweet. Yes. If you follow us and you share, you'll be entered to win one of three uh, passes for the CSS in JavaScript course. You have to specifically retweet or share the original post. Yeah, yeah. and it'll yeah. say. It'll have something in yeah. there about about that. But at any rate, uh, we are going to give away three uh, passes to his course. You can go in if you're a React developer, if you're somebody who's interested in React development. Like or somebody full pass, not discount. Yeah. You get it for free. And I think, right, It's we said earlier, it's it's two to three hours somewhere in there. Yeah. It's It doesn't take a lot of time. It's incredibly helpful and useful. Uh, and so... We've got that to give to you, and I think that is amazing. Uh, yes. So Thank check so that much. out. And uh, otherwise, all I have to say is check us out. Uh, if you want to get in on that, Twitter or Facebook dot uh, <laughs> com slash Drunken UX. Uh, Instagram is slash Drunken UX Podcast. Um, share any of those uh, when we put them up when the show goes live, and you'll be entered to win. Uh, otherwise, DrunkenUX.com slash Slack gets you into our chat channel, and Hell, I don't know. I got one thing to say. Uh, folks, Put your tree you, tables in the upright and locked position. Uh, that. <laughs> wow, you really held on to that joke till the end, didn't you? Wait, wait, wait. Oh. Hold on. Hold on. I, I have to give you one thing, though. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I, I can give you is this. Yes! I, I will give you your click. I that was it. a good joke. I'm not going to cut that out. That's the joke you've been waiting for. So. Uh, Everybody else, uh, thanks for listening. And the only thing I can leave you with is to keep your personas close and your users closer. Bye-bye.